Okay, brothers and sisters, welcome. It is uh, April 15, 2022. Today is Good Friday. Uh, of course, this is uh, the day upon which we remember um, Christ's sacrifice and atonement on the cross on behalf of our sins and for us, the elect. Um, as we come together this day and this evening to not just remember, like mentally, like information, like, oh yeah, Christ died for us. I think it's more important, or equally important, if you will, to remember what that means, right? The meaning of it, like the actual act um, historically, but also what it means for us today, like the relevancy of that, like how we relate to that, right? that event so long ago, how that continues to be not just important, but critically important uh, in our lives as Christians, right? So this day, of course, marks the climax of Christ's ministry here on earth. And so as we uh, remember our Lord and Savior who died on the cross for our sins, uh, I want to call you into worship this evening. Uh, and if you have a Bible, you can turn to Isaiah 53. This, of course, is the famous uh, prophecy of the suffering servant. Let me read this prophecy for you uh, from Isaiah 53, verses 1 to 12. It's the entirety of the chapter. It's a little lengthy, but as I read it, would you just um, remember Christ and have him in mind as we read the text today? So let me call you into worship, Isaiah 53. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty, that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised, and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore, and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging, we, were, we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due, his grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days, and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, as he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great, and he will divide the booty with the strong, because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Let me pray for us as we reflect on Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our beloved friend, the Son of God, the Son of Man, who came, who died, and rose again. 
Father God, we thank you this day. As we should every moment of our living lives. For Christ, who died for us. Lord, it's almost shameful that we need to mark a day on the calendar and call it good to remember our good Savior and Lord. For He is our Savior every day. And we are to remember this truth every living moment of our lives because we live so prone to forget it. Father, help us, O Lord, this day as we come together as family, adopted children to your household, that we would praise your name. So holy and righteous are you. O God, we come before you as ones who are not worthy, wicked and sinful and transgressors. We ask, O Lord, that you would help us to have the right posture before you as we remember Christ. Thank you for our, our union with him, which unites us all, the blood he shed that poured out for us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. We're going to sing two songs. Today's service order is slightly different, and we're going to just interject songs and hymns in between our service order to respond to the things we're learning today. So let's start with two songs uh, in a time of praise. And unfortunately, the... Uh, the younger um is sick today, so if you could pray for her health. So Jess and I will have to cover for joy.
going to take some time right now um, to study some catechisms. As you know, for the past year or so in our service, we've been going over these questions. And these are questions we've already gone through. We still got a ton left to go through because we're only on question, I think, like 60 at the moment. But I want to draw your attention to questions 19, 20, and 21 as we've studied or as we've looked at already um, on our sun- in our Sunday services. So let me... For those of you, of course, who are newer to our church, you didn't go through these questions. So let me remind you of what these questions ask and what the answers state. Question 19 asks this question, What is the misery of that estate wherein two men fell? That's a little bit of an older English language, um, but bear with it. I'm sure you can understand what's communicating. And the answer to this question reads in this way, All mankind... By their fall, and listen to what it lists, okay? These are the things that we fell into upon original sin as Adam and Eve sinned for the first time. These are the things. Lost communion with God. We see that in Genesis 3. We're under his wrath. And curse, wrath, curse, so made liable responsible to all miseries in this life. We are liable to these things, the miseries of our life. To death, famously Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death. Itself and to the pains of hell forever, eternal damnation. These are the things, the estate, whereunto we fell upon sinning in that garden. Question 20, Next slide, ask this question. Okay, well, did God leave all mankind to perish in the estate that we've just defined of sin and misery? All of these things, has God just left us in that state? Just mankind to perish? My answer reads this way. God having, out of his mere good pleasure. I love the wording of the Westminster Divines as they put the wording of this or the formation of this answer together right God having out of his mere good pleasure it was pleasurable for him to just merely do this for us right just mere good pleasure from his grace from all eternity elected some to everlasting life right brothers and sisters you are saved that God out of his mere good pleasure in all of eternity decreed that some would be saved we did enter the covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a redeemer so listen to those three things one more time number one God out of his mere pleasure entered into a covenant of grace what was once built on the covenant of works do not eat of the fruit of this tree or you shall surely die that's a covenant of works that's a promise based on your obedience of his command disobedience results in death upon that disobedience God willingly out of his own good pleasure decides I will enter into a new covenant with mankind and it will now be predicated On grace, man is incapable of obeying me fully. 
to be holy. And so instead, I will enter into a covenant of grace, just out of his own grace, right, for us. To deliver them, mankind, out of the estate of sin and misery. So all of those things we listed in question 19, he delivers us from those things. And there's only one way he does this, through a redeemer whom he has chosen. By a redeemer, all shall be saved, all who are elect. Then the obvious question must be asked, if the redeemer is the one who will deliver us from the estate of sin and misery, by the covenant of grace that God has willingly, by his own good pleasure, established. Who then, Lord, is this Redeemer? And that's what question 21 asks. If we go to the next slide. Who is the Redeemer of God's elect? And brothers and sisters, need I say more? The only Redeemer of God's elect is the Lord Jesus Christ, who, being the eternal Son of God, became man, and so was, and continues to be, God and man in two distinct natures and one person forever. This is our Savior. The man we call Jesus Christ, truly man, truly God. He is our Redeemer. I don't know if you see sort of what these questions are getting at, but when when these questions and these answers, like I know like on Sundays, it could just seem like, oh, here's Max just reading another question, another answer. But these are thoughtful questions. The men of the church and women of the church have asked in the past and have sought after these answers in scripture and have realized these are the answers to these questions, the burning questions of the Christian's heart. can see how it reflects the truth of not only our biblical text, but the truth of God and who he is and what he teaches us, especially in regards to the Son of God, to Jesus Christ. Uh, When we go through our uh, confession of faith, uh, we'll have a lot more to go in depth into as we uh, go through those things, but I hope to in one day be able to go even deeper into the catechism and uh, help you understand these questions and answers even better. Now, in response to this truth, our Redeemer, knowing who he is and what a state he brings us and delivers us from, uh, let's sing in response to this Son of God. So let's sing together two more songs.
praise the one. Praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up. One more time, oh, praise. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Oh, praise the one who paid my debt and raised this life up from the dead. Jesus paid it all. Once you paid my Sin had left a crimson stain.
this time, uh, we're going to go into the Word. So if with um, joined hearts, we could turn to Galatians 3. And we're going to look at verses 10 to 14. Now, it's my understanding that the uh, women's group this past month, maybe in March, I think, had looked into Galatians 3. Did you get into verses 10 to 14? Perhaps. <laughs> uh, so it should ring a bell. Um, in the past, I've done extensive Galatians uh, in-depth Bible studies, and so if you remember some of those things, this is a text that would be quite familiar with you. Uh, Galatians is particularly for me, uh, personally, like one of my favorite New Testament epistles. So let's read together Galatians 3, uh, 10 to 14. I'll read, and you can follow in your Bible. This is the Word of God. For as many as are of the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law to perform them. Now that no one is justified by the law before God is evident, for the righteous man shall live by faith. However, the law is not of faith. On the contrary, he who practices them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. In order that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we would receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Amen. These are the words of the Apostle Paul written to the Christians in Galatia. Uh, Galatia is uh, modern-day Turkey, uh, which is the nation we are currently supporting and uh, the last place that our church went to on uh, short-term missions projects, right? So uh, it's a pretty s uh, significant regional area, but um, beyond that, theologically and historically for us, as we're reading this, it's I incredibly important we understand the context of what, um, of what Paul is writing to the Galatians. So I'll give you some of that before we begin. And we have a very short sermon today, so I have very little time to get across a point that I think is going to be uh, really, really important for you to hear. Some of you may have heard some of these things before, and that's okay. It's just a good reminder of some of these fundamental truths. Uh, let me pray for us before we begin. Father, we thank you so much this evening as we come together to read your word in Galatians 3. We ask, O oh Lord, that, these, that this text, the truth it contains, the truth about Christ who died on the cross, and the nature of that cross would be revealed to us this day. Maybe in the form of a reminder for those who have already known these things and for others in enlightenment and revelation that would be a catalyst of change in one's life. I thank you for this time. We honor the Son who came and died for us. All this in your name we pray. Amen. So Galatians, let me give you a quick rundown. Galatians is an epistle written by Paul, one of the earliest of his letters. Some people say the earliest, uh, depending on, you know, where you stand in terms of uh, historical accuracy on some of these things. But it's one of the earlier uh, writings of Paul, and it's one of the first documents of uh, the scripture and of the New Testament era that contains uh, a doctrine of the justification by faith alone that the reformers stood upon, right? So the language of justification we find first in all of Paul's writings in the book of Galatians. 
Now, Galatians, the context in which Paul is writing to them, is that the Galatians, Paul was uh, the initial frontier missionary that established the church there. It was one of the first churches that he had established on his missionary, pro- uh, missionary uh, projects, as we see in the book of Acts. Um, and upon his departure away from Galatia, some men had come into this region. Uh, we don't exactly have a exact understanding of who they were, or what their motives were, uh, but we have a general understanding of who they are. And they're found, they kind of come up actually a lot through Paul's epistles. Even in our study of 1 Corinthians, they've kind of come up a bit. But they're known as the Judaizers, right? Uh, there are other terms for this, but I'll just call them Judaizers for the sake of it. And the Judaizers are basically these types of men, men who, who are Jewish in descent, so in origin and ethnicity and uh, in background, that had come to n- understand Christ, like Jesus, the person as the Messiah, but continued to cling on to the practices of the law. So they couldn't let go of the law, the Torah, and the practices of those things, and the requirements of the Torah, so things like Sabbath-keeping, diet-keeping, like kosher diet, uh, and like famously circumcision, right? So these are things that they could not sacrifice, and they continued to practice these things in light of understanding Christ as Messiah, and even though they had this understanding of Christ is the Messiah we've been waiting for, they didn't have a full understanding of what Christ meant when he said the laws and the prophecies or the prophets have been fulfilled in him, in Christ, right? And so they go into Galatia and they teach the Galatians, whoa, 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 like Paul was a Jew too, right? And here's the thing, these guys are teaching you wrong. What you need to do is go back to the Old Testament. See, this is of God, right? All of these things, these, this is the one true God. Right? This is the God that Jesus was. These are the texts that Jesus read from, that Jesus taught from. So why would we ignore these things? So we need to still keep these things rigorously. And they fell under the law again. Right? And so upon Paul's <laughs> departure, these men come in and they just kind of screw up everything, basically. right? Um, and they're going back under the law. And Paul hears about this, and he is irate. If you look at chapter 3, the very first three words of your Bible is chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians. <laughs> right? he's, actually, he's actually so angry that he forgot to punctuate. So all of uh, chapter 3 to like the middle of 4, uh, it's a one-sentence thing. He just forgot to punctuate because he's so irate about this situation. Well, we punctuated it in English for you so you can breathe as you read it, Right? Uh, but in Paul's case, he did not. He forgot to do so, um, or he just ignored to do so, because he just wanted to convey this truth. Do not turn from the one true gospel of Jesus. And you might think, well, what's so wrong, Paul, about obeying the commandments? They are actually of God. What's so wrong about that? And Paul then goes into a breakdown in chapter 3 of how the righteous live by faith. And it's not just a faith that goes, I believe in God and the existence of God. It's a faith that specifically proclaims this truth. I am a sinner in need of saving, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. Now, of course, in the Old Testament, they didn't have the name Jesus Christ. The name above all names is Messiah to come, the Son of Man, the Messiah, whatever you want to call him, right? There are two major influences um, to today's lesson that have shaped my desire to bring l- light of this message or to this message 
to you in regards to the cross of Christ. And this evening, I want to focus on this text and just a couple of fundamental truths, but one particular, what we will call the motif uh, in this text that I think is really important. The first is, the first inspiration is the Apostle Paul himself in writing the epistle to the Galatians, drawing attention to an aspect of the cross that is many times unknown, forgotten, or un- unheard, ignored. That the cross of Christ is and was a curse. A curse born for us. The second inspiration um, this is a sermon I tend I was actually earlier just listening to the sermon because I wanted to remind myself of what what was contained within this within the sermon. It's one of my favorite all-time sermons to listen to, especially during the time of Good Friday and you know this week, right? And it's a sermon preached many, many years ago by the now deceased theologian and pastor R.C. Sproul. And the sermon is entitled, and you can find this on, the, you know, on YouTube or on any, any podcast, it's called The Curse Motif of the Atonement. This is well worth 58 minutes of your time. As soon as I said 58 minutes, you're going, no way. It's an hour long. Just put playback to like you know, 1.75, you know, you're good. <laughs> it's about 30 minutes then, right? It's well worth your time to listen to this man speak on the motif of the curse of the atonement. And a lot of what I'm sharing to you today is based on a lot of the things that I learned not only in that sermon, but in many other texts. One of the books that I tell you to read, I didn't tell you this year, I should have, but one of the books I tell you to read every single Good Friday and Easter for the last three years now is what? John Stott's The Cross of Christ. This is a must read for all Christians. Every Christian should own this book and read this book. John Stott's The Cross of Christ. It is one of the most spectacularly written books in the examination of the cross of Jesus Christ. I want to bring you to the beginning of Scripture, and as soon as I do that, you're going to go, uh-oh, this is going to be a long sermon, right? Not true. I'm just going to quickly run you through a couple key moments in Scripture. We're starting from the beginning in Genesis 1, 2, and 3. We see, of course, creation, the fall of man, and then what do we see? The curse. But what's contrasted there many times, of course, is holiness to unholiness, you know, relationship with God to broken relationship, all these things, things you've examined before. There's a lot of these things, right? And in the cross, right, we've examined many motifs of the cross, the blood poured out, the body broken, Christ your Savior, the Son who came, the man who, you know, shed his blood for you, the image of the Passover lamb, um, you know, the sacrifice, the sacrificial lamb, Uh, We talk about propitiation, expiation. We talk about substitutionary atonement. We talk about Christ who is sinless and he bore the sins of many even though he was sinless and he committed no sin. Innocence, right, on that cross. We talk about a lot of different motifs, but rarely do we talk about the cross of Christ as a curse and that motif found within. But we see it in the very beginning of Scripture What's the very first thing God does when he creates man and woman? He blesses them. Read Genesis 1 and 2. God created them, and then he blessed them. He said, be fruitful, multiply, subdue the earth. He blesses them. So upon sinning, what's the very first thing that God does? 
he then curses them. So one of the things we lost out on in sin was the blessing of God. And instead, what we inherited because of our sin is the curse from God. A curse that we deserve, rightfully, because of our sin. So we see that motif in the very beginning. But of course, what have I reminded you in Genesis 3? Always, right? The proto-evangelion, the first instance of the gospel, that still in that curse was the promise of a Savior to come. What's the curse to the woman? The woman, of course, childbearing will be painful and all these things, but your offspring will crush the head of the serpent and it will bite his heel, right? So we see this proto, we call it the proto-evangelion in, in biblical scholarship. It's the first instance, God's own declaration of salvation to come. And then if it wasn't obvious enough at that moment that God is going to save us, what does he do? He kills for the first time. Because what are they wearing in their shame? Leaves, right? Just, just put on some leaves and they're covering their nakedness and shame. But God takes those leaves away. And to hide their shame as a result of their sin, what does he clothe them with? Animal skins. He kills innocence, innocent life for the very first time to clothe and hide the shameful sin of mankind. Of course, a precursor to innocent life that will one day shed its blood to impute righteousness upon us that we could be presented holy before God. Once again, blessedness to cursedness. The Torah, the law that Paul speaks of in this text, there's a blessing in the Torah. Obey these commands. If you read Deuteronomy or Leviticus rigorously, you will see constantly Moses' declaration. What is it? Obey the commands of the Lord, for he will bless you. He will bless you fruitfully. It will be great upon you if you are to obey the Lord's commands. And Israel, of course, fails in this over and over and over again. And what do they receive? Instead of the blessing of God, the curse of God, sent into exile, nations come and conquer them. They lose out on these blessings. Even the promised land itself is lost due to their sinfulness. We see in the Exodus, right, the final plague, the 10th plague, the ultimate precursor to Christ, right? Uh, one day we'll do an examination of each of those plagues. But in the 10th plague particularly, what do we see? Blood of the innocent lamb painted on your doorpost and you will not have your firstborn son you know, found dead in the morning. But let me ask you, when the angel of death passes by these homes, let's say, you know, some not-so-great Jewish or Israelite men or, or family is living in, in, in a household with not particularly great morals, does the angel of death knock on the door and go, I, I know you have blood on the doorpost, but like, can I just make sure everyone here is worth saving? Not so, for no one is worth saving. The angel of death sees the blood on the doorpost of the innocent lamb, and you're saved. That's it. Nothing inside that home saves them. It's all about the blood of the lamb painted on the doorpost, the ultimate precursor to, of course, Christ and his blood shed for us that will also 
allow us exemption from death. And then the sacrificial lambs in the sacrifice of the high, as the Israelites would go to the high priest to the temple, bring their sacrifices, what would the high priest do? I don't know if many people know this, if you've read your Bibles very keenly, I know, of course, here at Sheepgate, everyone reads their Bible really keenly, right? In detail, what do you see? Two particular animals brought before the high priest in the great sacrifice. We see, of course, the sacrificial lamb, which you're probably familiar with. So every household would bring a lamb, an innocent calf. They would kill it. They would shed its innocent blood. And that would be symbolic of the removal, the washing or the cleansing of the sin of the transgressors. But you know what else they did? And that, of course, you know, that's symbolic of the washing, the blood. This innocent life takes on the guilt that you possess and removes it, right? That's why we sing together sometimes, right? That um, our sins are washed away, right? Our sins are washed away by the blood of the Lamb. We call this propitiation, that he is this propitiation on our behalf, that he took on our guilt. But then we also see expiation in the scapegoat. If you ever read your Bibles carefully one more time, there's a lamb, but there's also this really interesting thing called a goat, right? And a goat is brought, and the term scapegoat actually comes and stems from this Old Testament practice, this ritual, this goat coming. And here's what they would do. The Israelites would bring curse upon this goat. And the high priest would symbolically lay his hands onto this goat as just to symbolize the curse that is brought upon all transgressors, all sinners in Israel, that all of their sins would be put onto this one goat. And you know what they would do to this goat? And nowadays, like, those animal rights act, like, activists, they would hate this. But the goat would then walk through the entire village, like the all of Israel, at the very center, on its way out of Israel, like, of, of its quarters, right? And they would remove it from its midst, midst and the, the goat would walk and everyone would just curse this goat. And curses would be just, just thrown and scorned upon this goat. The goat would symbolically take on all of these curses and then it would be removed from their midst and never be brought back, left to die. That was the scapegoat. That's why, like, you know, you have scapegoats in sports these days, right? Oh, the one who takes on all the blame because even though everyone sucked, the one guy who wasn't supposed to suck gets all the blame, <laughs> right? That's where that term comes from. It's a biblical term, and it's symbolic of something. It's something Christ would do for us. Yes, he washes our sin away, but he also takes on the curse that we deserve. But there's something extraordinary that I want to show you. When we get to the prophets, there's language there in the prophecies of the of Amos, you know, Hezekiah, Malachi, all of the, all of those books that we love reading, right? <laughs> and these prophets would go to these nations, these people, typically Israel, and they would say, "Thus says the Lord," and they would give them warning. Turn from your sin. Repent and believe. Or else. And the or else is always this. Woe to you. For if you do not obey. And turn from your ways. Woe to you. 
Where have you heard that language before, brothers and sisters? We see it in Isaiah, the great prophet, right? In Isaiah 6, when he's before the heavenly throne, what does he see? The holy God. And for the very first time, he recognizes his own sinfulness. And what are his words? The first utterances of his mouth. Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Brothers and sisters, I know, like, it's hard to see the true depth of our sinfulness and our ugliness in our transgression. But when we are before the Holy God and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit, we will then know truly, truly how ugly we are. And we will deserve to, we will say with our own mouths, proclaim, woe to me. The prophets proclaim this, obey, thus says the Lord, or else, woe to you. Then we get to the Beatitudes. What do we see in Jesus' teachings in Matthew 5? The famous blessings. Blessed are the dot, dot, dot. And you have a list of blessings, but theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are these people. But read that list carefully, and you will not see descriptors of people you would think deserve the things that are listed. But what's the indicative or deductive sort of conclusion to blessed are the poor for theirs is the kingdom of heaven? What's the opposite? Cursed. Cursed are you. For you will not have the kingdom of heaven if you are not these things. There's a blessing and a cursed dichotomy constantly flowing throughout scripture. And it climaxes on the cross in the person of Jesus and his atoning work. The cross, what is it? It is a blessing to us who believe. And it is an absolute curse to all who do not. Those who do not obey the law, Paul writes, in full are under a curse. For all the law does and functions to do is to show you how sinful you are. Thus, no one is justified by the law. You know why no one is justified by the law? No one is capable of obeying all 613 Old Testament laws to perfection from birth to death. No one. So all the law does is it teaches you of your unholiness and God's holiness. So if the law cannot save me, and if obedience to the law cannot save me, who or what can? Christ. Christ came and he redeemed us, Paul writes, by becoming a curse for us. Why would he use that language? And listen to his words carefully. He says he became a curse for us. A curse once against us in Genesis 3. Christ became a curse for us, for our benefit, for our redemption. He reverses that curse. And he does not say that he was being cursed for us. Paul doesn't say Jesus was cursed for you. He says Jesus became a curse for you. That's a very different thing. 
So he wasn't just being cursed, but became a curse for us. He became that goat that was just walked through Israel, plunged with curse so that the rest could not be. So through Christ's death on the cross, the Spirit could bring, as Paul writes, the blessing of Abraham. Right? That blessing that was given to Abraham, covenantally given to us through faith in Christ alone. Brothers and sisters, all I want to tell you today is this. You went from cursed as cursed could be, and now in Christ, you are as blessed as blessed could be. This is the most, like, this is the part of Scripture that breaks my heart the most when Christ is on the cross. And if it was me, man, I would, I, I would just curse out everyone there. These idiots, they have no idea what they're doing. As, and in his greatest physical pain and agony that one could endure, the greatest of his pains is not so much the nails in his hands or the thorn of crowns on his head. What does he cry? Lord, Father, Father, why have you forsaken me? This is the lesson of that cry of Jesus. When we were kicked out of the garden, we were forsaken. And Christ took on forsakenness so that he can resolve yours. He's symbolically kicked out of the garden so that you can be brought back in. That's incredible. John Stott in his book, he writes, every time we look at the cross, Christ seems to say to us, I am here because of you. It is your sin I am bearing. Your curse I am suffering. Your debt I am paying. Your death I am dying. Nothing in history or in the universe cuts us down to size like the cross. So brothers and sisters, we are, and I hope, the righteous who shall live by faith in our union with Christ. Let's respond to this truth in a time of prayer and reflection as you personally just take a moment to reflect on this. And then we're just going to conclude the evening in the final two songs in response to this truth.
wonderful declaration that Christ is ours forevermore. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this evening where we were able to spend some time together, uh, not only in your text, uh, but in the truth that it proclaimed and a reminder, of course, of the historical event of your son, Jesus Christ's cross, upon which he hung, he died, um, and he took on the sin, the sin that we commit each day, the sin that continues to taint our lives. We thank you for that gift. We thank you for being our sacrifice, our propitiation, our expiation, our sacrificial lamb, our scapegoat, that, Lord, you would turn our curse and turn it into blessing by becoming curse for us. We thank you, O Lord, for you are so very good to us. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, just a couple announcements as we conclude. And then we can just chill. Feel free to go home whenever you would like. Um, nothing too new. I'll go through some more specific announcements on uh, Sunday when we're gathered together. And of course, this Sunday is Resurrection Sunday. It is Easter Sunday, right? So Christ is... Uh, there's this really funny uh, Facebook um, group, and you can like follow it if you want. Uh, some of like my friends, we follow it, but it's basically <laughs> this group that um, just checks. You know how like there's weathermen who like give you the weather update every day. It's a group that tells you whether like like uh, Christ is alive. <laughs> so every day, this guy he just posts he's alive, he's alive. Like every day, 364 days a year. Just on Good Friday, he goes, oh wait. And then three days later on Sunday, he goes, oh, he's alive. <laughs> and then it just continues like all year. So it's like a daily reminder that, that Christ is alive. <laughs> he's a living God. Um, so it's a really funny group. But anyways, that's Sunday. So Resurrection Sunday. We'll see you then. Uh, it's 1 p.m. service as usual. No, um, yeah, nothing like particularly we're going to do differently from a regular Sunday. Uh, of course, the sermon this week will be Easter sort of centered. I was going to continue to preach on the rest of 1 Corinthians 14, uh, but upon a little bit more prayer and thoughtfulness, <laughs> I guess, uh, I thought it'd be more appropriate, especially with some, some of our newcomers and those who may not be believers. I thought it'd be nice uh, to preach on the resurrection of uh, Jesus Christ. And so we'll do that on Sunday, uh, and we hope to see you there. There's a fantastic, as soon as I say this, like, like people I never heard of start showing up, uh, but there's a fantastic layout of food ready for you on Sunday. Uh, the cam are gonna bless us, um, but I think equally if we could bless them too. If you, they're not really into desserts, but if you could bring like just a small thing if you want, you don't have to. No pressure. Uh, maybe like a fruit. I might bring a watermelon. You guys want a watermelon? We haven't had a watermelon in a while. Anyways, that's Sunday, so we'll we'll talk about that when we get there. Um, but yeah, please do that. Uh, or please be there, I should say, and join us uh, for Easter Sunday if you can, uh, if you're able, and I think you ought to. It's a very important day. Even Donald Trump goes to church on Easter every year, so think about that if you're thinking about not going, okay? <laughs> it's the one day he goes to uh, church. Anyways, that is Easter Sunday. Um, other than that, I've been told that I need to announce this, so I will. Corey is continuously uh, looking to get his softball jersey XL file filled out. <laughs> so if you haven't done so, <laughs> please do that. Um, he's, uh, you know, he's not, you know, he wants us to do it. So <laughs> if you want, please, please do it ASAP. We got to get the orders in. 
our team is registered and we're ready to go. So that's wonderful. And the church will be uh, compensating you on that. So they're going to pay for your registration fee and then partial jersey fee as well, right? So we've secured those funds. Uh, as I've told you, this coming Monday to Friday, I'll be traveling to the States. Uh, I'm going to a Christian conference for pastors, and uh, I'm going to be coming back with like 30 million books. So uh, I'm excited. Anyways, please pray for me. Uh, and then continue to pray for those we have been praying for. Um, and particularly, uh, I, I would like to share this with you today, uh, but Cindy and Tens, really like talking with them more lately and uh, examining sort of where they are in their faith. Right? They're not believers yet, but they're getting there, and they're really learning, they're really opening up. Andrew's been doing an amazing job of just continuously following up with them, just talking with them, which is weird because he doesn't talk to us, but he talks to them. So uh, anyways, uh, please continue to pray for them. Uh, I think it's really important, and uh, keep up with them. Other than that, that is it. So tonight, if you want to order food, we can order food, um, and if you want to hang out, we can hang out for a bit, and then you're free to go whenever you'd like. So thank you for joining us this evening, and uh, we'll see you Sunday. Otherwise, we'll see you right now as we hang out. Um, let's end, I think, appropriately with the Lord's Prayer. So if we could rise, let us pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom, power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Thank you, everyone. That's it.